With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, welcome to the Total BS Podcast. I'm Saul Bookman with, with my co-host, Justin Spears. What's going on, buddy? What's going on, my man? How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Another day, another dollar, right? Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. I'm just glad. I'm just glad that we can get through this day and uh, actually speak to somebody else that's probably more interesting than us. So it'll be pretty cool to do <laughs> Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but before we do that, let's get it. Your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool is just part of the program. Spit your best sixteen if you must. You're not whack. You just sound whack rapping after us. Yo, your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool is just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack. You just sound whack rapping after us. So, Justin, we have a very yes, special sir. guest today joining us from the Pac-12 Network. Uh, we've been following his work for quite a while. He's the one and only Mikey M. How you doing, sir? Uh, doing great. Who, who put the, the track together? I like uh, that. Actually, yeah, it's a, it was, uh, so I used to be in the military Yeah, and, uh, one of my, I remember because last time we, we, uh, met in person, I think I was doing a talk down at, at U of A down in Tucson, right? Is that when we met in person, right? Um, no, I remember because your story is, is more unique because of the military background and, um, you know, I'm not saying anything out of turn. I don't mean to be disrespectful, (laughs) but you also are a little bit more mature might be the best way to describe it compared to the rest of the dynamics in the room. Uh, so just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, so one of my former trainees, uh, he actually is a is a hip hop artist, and uh, oh, he nice. lended us his sound, and so we very much appreciate it. I like that. Yeah, Kudos so. to him. How have you been, sir? How how's, how's everything been going for you? And uh, yeah, you know, in terms yeah, of this pandemic rolling. You know, you know, it's kind of crazy because I feel like the last couple of weeks the amount of requests to do podcasts and radio interviews has really kicked up. And and a lot of it you would have thought was because of the Pac-12 schedule that got released, but there's so much with the We Are United movement, what's happening at Washington State. And and I know we'll dive into all that stuff, but it's been wild, man. Someone brought this up to me. I was talking to someone on the phone earlier today and they said, Oh, God, I, I, I say someone, it, I, I was, I do work for Sirius XM radio on the Pac-12 channel. We had Bobby Hurley on and Bobby says, oh, you know, um, you know, last time I saw you guys, it was Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, man, that feels like 10 years ago when we were there. And right. I was doing another radio interview in Mississippi, and they were asking me what it's like on the West Coast. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're getting after it and, you know, 50% capacity in the restaurants and the whole thing. And I go, you know, last time I had a meal indoors – outside of obviously my home was Vegas in March. Like we just, you know, the Bay area and I don't know where you guys are located. So I don't know if you're in, um, in, in still in that Arizona area. And Justin, it looks like I'd see like Lakers paraphernalia behind you. So maybe you're a SoCal guy, but, um, you know, in the Bay area, it's, it's like locked down. Like you can't, you can't really do anything up this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, Mike, we, all three of us were at the back 12 tournament and I was actually there as a fan yeah. in that, in that, in that term, in the terms of that. And it was eerie. Even that night leaving the arena, you're yeah. like, yeah, I don't know if we're ever coming back. Like it just, you just knew it, especially with the Rudy Gobert situation that hit that night. And then all of a sudden you got word of this count, yeah. this conference, that conference and things of that nature. But Justin, you want to go ahead and kick it off? No, I was going to ask you, 
uh, Roy Choi's restaurant, right? That was the the yes. place that we decided to yes. go get a bite to eat. Yes. The best, best fried friend. bologna sandwich. That's, yeah, that's best where friend. me and Justin went that night. Yes, sir. Best fried bologna sandwich I've ever had. We, I never we didn't run into each other that night, night, right? Like, I feel like I, I had a couple meals in Vegas the last couple <laughs> years at that spot. No, so. no, Justin and I didn't get buzzed until later on. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we would have noticed you. We like, for instance, like we we were out one of these nights in Las Vegas, and uh, we ran into your boy Yogi Roth, and that was pretty fun. So uh, uh, were you, were you on your way to some sort of <laughs> like edc like like kind of chaotic uh uh concert or something along those lines that's like a yogi thing it was like you know god i gotta think back maybe it was like the second year of the pac-12 tournament in vegas i remember there god um avici is that like the artist Yeah, 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah 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 he was playing up there and randomly so this is like way back so rich rodriguez when he was still the football coach at um at u of a uh, Matt Dudek, who was on his staff, and Matt was like the best yeah, dude Matt. ever. And Matt's actually, um, if I'm not Is mistaken, Michigan, he? Michigan, right, with Harbaugh. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, and I haven't, we haven't kept in touch over the last couple of years. But Matt, when I would go on campus and watch the team practice, like Matt would always give me the scoop, the lowdown, and he and Yogi are really tight. So I guess Rich Rod had given Matt, you know, had covered his trip to Vegas as like a thank you to you know, for, for Matt and all of his hard work. And you guys know this, I mean, being around these teams, like the staffs on, on men's basketball, football, it, it, all these teams, they do, they're grinding. Like we always think about the head coach, but yeah. the support personnel has really done, they do an amazing job. And Matt obviously was, was terrific. So Matt was trying to get me to go with Yogi to this like Avicii thing. And I'm like, yo, that's not, that's not, like, <laughs> it's just not uh, you know, more power to you. I respect it, but you know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily my scene. So. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I, in all fairness to Yogi, hey, that dude knows how to have a good time. I will say that. Oh, yeah. It was that Trace, right? It was that Trace? Yeah, Trace at Club and Trace, yeah. And, and I just remember seeing Yogi Roth like, wow, like we're seeing Yogi kind of out of his element, you know? And like <laughs> or, we're so used to his element. <laughs> or in his element. We just like, didn't know about hey, it. He's, he's not just <laughs> about ball. He's, he's about having fun too, which I appreciate. Very, very much, much, very much. He He's dialed in, but I'm sure you guys would have had a blast with him. He had, uh, I'm sure there's, you know, maybe a couple strands of hair that might have been out of place <laughs> if it was later in the evening. But uh, no, he's definitely, and, and he's not having too much fun, at least the, the way he used to yeah. nowadays because he just had his baby. So yeah. I just talked to him uh, yesterday morning and he's like, yeah, three 30 every morning, ready to rock and roll. I'm like, Oh, uh, wow. so that sounds like fun. So uh, <laughs> with you guys, he's probably hanging out to about three 30 and now he's like waking up and he said, he's like dodging pee in the air and the whole uh, <laughs> anyone who's got kids and I don't, but they can probably empathize with what Yogi's dealing with. That's funny. Uh, uh, Yogi. So, now looking not at yogi. not yogi not yogi mike, mike, mike sorry <laughs> good looking as yogi is i'll take it. sorry mike brain fart mike now looking at the the college football season ahead you know yeah. we saw that you know a september 26 kickoff has been in place for some teams arizona asu territorial cup to kick off the season yeah. and then usc ucla as well i think those are interesting matchups uh but larry scott said the reason why those four schools are all playing against their rivals is because those are where the COVID-19 and the hotspots are in the PAC 12. Uh, What do you think about just the the conference schedule? And I guess 
the probability of a season even happening at this point. Yeah, it's you look, man, it's the million dollar question. And and I think all of us, when we saw the schedule, I think we can all appreciate the flexibility, uh, the idea of the Arizona schools and the L.A. schools going head to head while it looks weird on paper. It does make some sense to schedule it that way. The flexibility is big time where you're able to move those week one and week two games. Generally speaking and eyeballing it off the top of my head, I think it was weeks four through six is where everyone's by typically yep. falls. And then the week 12, the universal buy to make up any of those other matchups. I like it. And the ability to extend the Pac-12 championship game uh, later out on the calendar, depending on how things go with COVID. So look, I, I like the conference only model. I know the SEC has gone that way as well. And the Big Ten, who were the first to go and do it, the plus one model in the ACC and the Big 12, who just recently made their announcement. I, th- I find fascinating um, only in the sense of if you are a Big 12 school, like I, uh, let me rewind here. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, Utah, BYU. Why can't we play them? It's drivable for us. Like why, you know, it's, it's more safe for us to do that than to hop onto a plane. And while I would agree with conventional wisdom. I think when you take a step back and you say, well, does BYU, does uh, an FCS team, another G5 team, do they have the financial resources to test and implement safety protocol that the Pac-12 or really any Power 5 conference has and is doing with their players? And the answer more times than not is probably going to be no. So if you were Portland State and you only intended on testing your players when they were symptomatic – and you are pick a team in the Pac-12, do you want your guys, when they've been tested once, twice a week, and you know they're good to go, match up against a team that's only testing their players when they're symptomatic? So that that's the reason why I think the conference-only schedule uh, works. And that's why I find it fascinating that the ACC and the Big 12 are going with that plus one with the non-conference game. So, you know, that kind of I don't even know initially what the question was, Justin. I apologize. Hopefully I'm answering it. But in terms of having an actual season, my Lord, man, I, I, I really hope that that's the case. But what we've seen in these startups, the restarts, I should say, with professional sports, it seems like there's only really one way to do it. And in do it in a in a way that ensures safety, and that's the bubble. And the NBA has gotten it right, and I applaud them for that. I think you look at the top with Adam Silver, and I think you argument right now he's probably the best commissioner in in all of sports. You have a plan, you execute the plan, the vision comes to fruition, and your guys are safe. And I think in college football, the lack of leadership at the top is really apparent. And I've talked to ADs about that; they seem to agree. Coaches seem to think that that's the case. And, and to me, that's what concerns me. How do you have student athletes on a campus in what is considered a quote athletic bubble? What happens? They get out to, to gen pop though. I mean, the NBA guys like you're not leaving that bubble college kids. And we remember this. I mean, we're not that far removed from those college days. Like probably going to go have a good time when you can a little bit. So I I think it's going to be hard. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I love that there's a plan. And if the States and at the, at the local level, allow the games to happen, yeah, let's roll. I mean, that's a, that's a great point about, you know, the age of these kids uh, that are going to be participating in college football. I mean, you take the Miami Marlins, for example, you know, uh, the anti-bubble, 
you know, demonstration that they have in terms of, you know, how they can control themselves. They, they don't have, and what I was telling Justin was they don't have, you need to cut down as many variables as possible. And that's what the yeah. NBA did. Right. Yeah. And so when you have major league baseball, for instance, where players are coming and going from home back, you can't control what other people in their household are doing. So it's, yeah. it's very difficult, uh, especially for young kids. Like you said, you know, it, all it takes is one person be like, Hey, we're having a party and blah, blah, blah. There it is. And then yeah. you're going to say no to the party. Yeah, right. Especially so. depending on where these kids live, if they've been doing the shelter in place and the right thing, like I'm 38. I got to tell you, I'm so ready to have a life again. <laughs> Can you imagine being 18, 19, 20, 21? Oh, like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, you're ready to roll at that point. So, I, you know, there's also that maturity aspect, too, with these college athletes that I, I think we're going to have to focus in on. And they're going to have to be more mature than, than maybe the rest of their, their, their students. And money as well. Yeah. We're talking about MBA WNBA, like these professional sports that are doing the bubble, they're all getting paid at the end of the day. And I think that's why, you know, these players around the conference created yeah. this letter. We are united uh, via Players Tribune is because they said, well, we are risking our health every single day, but we're not getting a single dollar. So you do bubble student athletes. I don't think so because then there's that aspect where players are kind of starting to realize they have some leverage and they're going sure. to create this union almost to try to get some compensation. Yeah. And, and look, I think the one thing, Justin, that that nationally people are focusing in on with the We Are United stance from a Pac-12 perspective is the dollars and cents of it. And realistically, it's, it doesn't seem realistic to ask for the 50 50 reps. I mean, it's just not, and I applaud them for trying shoot for the stars. I do wish they were advised a little bit more effectively. I was disappointed by the fact that, and I give them credit because I think any student who's willing to go out on a limb, take a stand on something should be applauded. And I think generally speaking, that group of players, their, their hearts and their minds are in the right place, but you know, they're asking for some stuff, guys, that's already going to happen or has already happened. And to me, that's, it, it, it's it's a weird look. And the money thing, it, how about this? Big 10 players come out, right? And they mm -hmm. have a similar stance. They're not talking about the money. And to me, for those players to say, hey, we're standing for health and safety, uh, social justice, and that's what we're getting behind and talking less about the dollars and cents, I, I think does the group of the Pac-12 players a disservice. And I think it makes Absolutely. them look, it, it, it's not the best look when other players in other leagues are asking for X, Y, and Z and money doesn't happen to be one of them. Now, let me just say this. I am so pro player, it's not even funny. And the NIL thing, and, and I've been on record months and years ago, like these dudes should be able to make cash off of their name, image, and likeness. What's fair is fair. Um, and I appreciate the scholarship argument and, and I totally agree with it and this whole idea of being an amateur. But if I'm a talented musician on a particular campus and, you know, so-and-so, you guys on your show say, hey, we're going to go and pay you to, to write our theme music for our show. Like, okay, cool. Like I got that talent and that ability to go and do so. Why shouldn't I be able to capitalize it? And I'd say the same thing for the athlete. And maybe that musician is on, on full scholarship. I, I just... To me, they, they should get that. And I'm glad NIL is going in their favor. Absolutely. No, I, I think those are great points, uh, Mike. You know, I, I think 
the thing that that struck me the most <clears throat> about the about the players in the Big Ten and their and their proposal was exactly that the revenue, fifty sure. percent revenue. I, I I'm sitting here talking to Justin about fifty percent revenue, dude. You might not even have fifty percent of your revenue this year, and then you're going to try and split that. You know, you got to think about all the things that that a university is obligated to have to pay for right now outside of the players. And again, player compensation, I I totally am on board with that. I think if you can make money off your own likeness, if you can make money, you know, sponsoring yourself or whatever the case may be, sure. do it. Absolutely. But, you know, 50 percent revenue, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of change for a lot of players. You know, and, and I just don't think that that's the way. And I don't think they understood they know that football is the moneymaker, but I don't think they understand that they're really funding a lot of the other programs. Exactly. So if I'm playing, and I'm using this as an example, men's tennis, you know, like I might be costing the school money to run my program. So if you're saying a rev split, and this wouldn't happen, but it's almost like, does the tennis player have to write a check to the school in order to go and play? Like, yeah. are you doing the exact opposite and the reverse? And, and, and clearly you know, the 50-50 reps, like that's that's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Speaking of revenue, uh, John Wilner for Mercury News had a report sure. uh, earlier today uh, that talked about a loan program that the Pac-12 could go through if there isn't a football season this year. Because if the season yeah. gets canceled because of COVID-19, I mean, that's a lot of money lost for the school, for each school in the conference. So the Pac-12 would then move with this loan that would cover all of the losses all the lost revenue from each school now the maximum for each one is 83 million dollars they can take that which could be up to 996 million dollars which is mind-blowing to me yeah. uh, but what do you think about this loan program and the pac-12 moving forward this because to me it seems like larry scott and the pac-12 is thinking we got to save our butts just in case this whole ship goes burning down and they want to be ready yeah. Uh, well, number one, the conference only schedule that we talked about earlier is going to limit revenue, less games, less cash, right? So you're already operating right off the top at a loss this season if there's football. I like the idea of having that security blanket. You mentioned collectively almost a billion dollars if every school takes the max. My understanding is not every school needs the $83 million or so, so they might fall below that. Um, what I found and there's also USC and Stanford, two private institutions that don't even need it. For sure. And, and so like they might, they probably wouldn't touch that. I mean, Stanford's in down it's $28 billion uh, with a B. So it just got 11 programs. I think what's interesting about it is a school like Cal, um, it's got some financial issues. UCLA has some financial issues. Both of those schools were Under Armour schools. Under Armour now pulling a massive amount of funds. That's not going to help the situation. Some coaching decisions on UCLA's campus you know, I think they're still paying for some coaches that, that are no longer there, plus current salaries. So I don't, you know, those schools may be more in need. Um, I did see something earlier today. The interest on the loan that Wilner wrote about was like three and change, 3% change. I saw something earlier today that Cal could get the same amount of cash at like a 2% interest rate. So, oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the schools start chopping, you know, themselves or, or how stuff like that would work. But I do think it's a good idea to have, you know, quote, the insurance policy just in case there's not football. I mean, that, that also screams, guys, to me. You know, you saw Stanford cut 11 programs. I, I think nationally, 
I think we're in like the upper 60s for uh, programs that have been cut in the country, which is like the highest total of, of in one single year in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. You know, we haven't even hit the school year yet. And I have a feeling if there's no football, by the end of the year, you're going to see a lot more than just 66, 70 programs around the country get cut, which is sad and it's unfortunate. But the but the loan would also cover Olympic sports. So that yes. the conversation that we just talked about, you know, men's tennis possibly For costing sure. the school money, this loan would then ensure that these school or these programs would not get cut from the athletic departments. The, the problem there, Justin, is Stanford did the calculations and they said, and don't quote me on these numbers just because I, I don't this is like a month ago and, and just kind of read it casually, so I don't remember all of it. But it was something along the lines if they kept those eleven programs, they'd be operating at a loss. And in two years, it'd be a $12 million deficit for those 11 programs. Fast forward four or five years, and they'd be operating in around the $30 million loss range. So, you know, just in the whole point, you take a loan out, you know, the idea is you're you're making money and you can pay off that loan plus the interest. In this situation, those programs are not making the school money. So I don't know if you're taking on the loan to keep programs alive that aren't going to make cash and you're going to have yourself in even further debt because you're paying interest. You'd have to owe the interest on top of that. So I think part of it is not just keeping those sports alive alone. Part of it, I think, is allowing maybe a football program or a men's basketball program or an athletic department collectively to sort of stay afloat. So, I mean, Justin, just to to clarify, most schools, I think just about almost every school, operate in the red outside of football and men's basketball. Yeah, most schools yes. across the board. So every school is, yeah. or every other sport is essentially costing the school money um, to yep. to put on. So and they only do it because, well, first of all, you know you have Title IX, um, yeah. and then and then you have other uh, reasons why they want to get into that. And Stanford had a lot of reasons for their Olympic sports, and and it was kind of you know it was kind of a you know a, a chest sticking out situation where you know we have thirty four programs and blah blah blah, and we have all these championships. It's great. Now they don't have that, and that's the reason why a lot of these things are going on the way they are, and why programs get cut ultimately. So, uh, but also, you know, uh, Mike, going back to uh, the the players' movement, you know, one of the things that I've that I have found uh, very interesting is that both groups from the Big Ten and Pac-12 are desperately wanting to have a third-party medical team essentially evaluate everything. Yeah, and I thought that that was. Uh, you know, Justin, I had this discussion and he asked, you know, why, why, why they don't trust their doctors. And I was like, well, no, because the, doc- the the medical people or the medical staff on each university campus, uh, they don't always have the best interest of the student athlete in mind. And so this kind of reinforces that point, don't you think? No doubt. I, you know, I, I saw that and immediately I, I thought it was, and I misread it because initially I felt like the the players were asking for them to pick the third party that would do the COVID testing. And I said to myself, like, do you really want to be involved in something like that? Number one, the Pac-12 was going to, if they haven't already, ink a deal with the same group that's doing the NBA and the NFL testing, which I think is based in Salt Lake City. It's like bio something or other is the name of the company. So to me, that's a win. And I talked to two other people uh, the last two days, and both of them said the same exact thing so that you're saying, which is there's some mistrust from the players with medical personnel. Now, that surprised me to a certain degree. I mean, granted, 
you look at a a large collection of players, I I shouldn't even say players, you take a large collection of a population, it's going to be a lot of differing opinions on some things. I mean, hell, I think we've all seen the videos. I don't know where you guys fall politically and let's not make this a political conversation, (laughs) but we've all seen the videos and I'll just speak for myself. Like there's some people down in Florida and I've seen, you know, they they go to their, you know, their city hall, city council meetings, and they're saying some crazy stuff, like (laughs) crazy stuff. And you almost forget and take for granted, like my opinion's my opinion, but that doesn't mean everyone else is thinking like me. So when I see something like that, I go, okay, like maybe there is some mistrust then for, um, for medical personnel. But, you know, I I think the other question around the We Are United movement is, are players willing to sit out? And I talked to one kid over the weekend and he said, you know, Mike, I totally support what these players are doing, um, especially when it comes to player safety and especially when it comes to racial um, injustice. And he said, I want to be able to use our platform and that type of thing. So I said, okay, great. Well, does that mean, and he did say, but I do think like things like 50-50 rev split is just not realistic. I said, okay, well, are you willing to sit out? And he said, Mike, I grew up poor. My family is still poor, but I actually have a chance to play in the NFL. And I don't, I'm I'm not misguided where I think I'm a first or a second round pick, but I do understand I need to play this season to have a chance. And I don't want to be poor for the rest of my life. And my family is poor. So I'm going to play. I can't sit out. And he said, furthermore, at least on my campus, I feel really safe. He said, I feel safer on my campus than I do when I go out to the grocery store and I'm going about my daily business. And he said on the racial injustice, he said, I almost feel bad because uh, our coach and his coach is white. He said, our coach has been nothing but absolutely awesome about what is happening in our society. He's had multiple conversations with us. He has been empathetic. He's tried to learn. He's tried to show us how we can use our platform to affect some change. So he said, in some ways, I almost feel bad that this entire group is writing these demands when at the end of the day, like I do feel really good about the position that I'm in. So I, I say that and it's a really long-winded answer to say the other part of this is do players sit out? And I, I just, I don't know how many will actually not take the field if these demands are not met. Yeah, for sure. And that's Justin, you and I literally just spoke about that before Mike came on about the fact that, you know, when the rubber meets the road, how many of these kids are really going to take, make that decision and sit out. And, and when you only have, let's say you're a senior and you have one year left of eligibility, that's a very tough decision. You know what I mean? That's not probably not even a decision for you. You probably have to play so you can give your chance to, uh, an opportunity to play at the next level. So Justin. No, I was going to say that this is where we're starting to see the divide between kind of like college football's elites and guys who are fighting for their lives essentially right now. Like you're seeing first round, like bona fide first round draft picks come out and say, I'm willing to sit out this season because they already know that they are going to be a high draft pick. Meanwhile, like you said, you have other players that are fringe guys. You know, they might be a second or third day player, but I mean, we're talking about thousands and perhaps millions of dollars at risk for these players, depending on what round they get picked. And I don't know. It's it's definitely a a tough situation to be in right now for a lot of these players. But I just think it's so refreshing to finally see every player kind of come together. 
And it's not just at one conference. Like you mentioned the big 10, you know, you have other players around college football, all finally coming together. And I think student athletes are finally understanding that they have a voice in all this and they've had a voice this entire time, but they all just needed to unite. And that's what we're seeing. Hey Mike, real quick, before we get to, uh, while we're on the topic, you know, I, I told Justin, I said, you know, it's much like the newspaper industry back in the day, you know, uh, when technology started to come on board, you know, newspapers had a decision to either jump on board with the digital stuff or sure. you'd fight it. And, and if you're not prepared and you didn't get on that digital train early, you were kind of left out and you kind of, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place now, as we see a lot of newspapers around the country, you know, kind of fledgling and, and struggling. We've seen the player movement coming. We've seen the, you know, the, the need and the want for getting your worth, you know, is, is the PAC 12 among other conferences, are they ready to go down this road? Because I know the NCAA sure as hell isn't, um, are, are these individual conferences looking at this differently than the NCAA and saying, okay, we need to be prepared for this. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. And the, the short answer to me screams lack of leadership at the top. Who's making the call on this stuff? Like legitimately, who is? Power five football doesn't, it's autonomous. Like they don't, they don't have to listen to the NCAA essentially. Like they can just kind of do whatever they want. You know, I, when all this stuff was happening, we were talking about schedules. I can tell you all the, all the P5 commissioners are on a somewhat daily call. When the big 10 Kevin Warren comes out and says, Hey, conference only schedule. And a day or two later, Bob Bowlesby's like, no, like we're not even considering that right now. I'm thinking, Ooh, like this is, we're not all on the same page here. A couple of days later, Pac-12 follows the Big Ten. They say conference only. Still the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, not ready to announce anything. To me, that says there's not this uniformity um, at that level. And I, when it comes to subjects like NIL, guys, like I'd be on your show at any of the year. I'd hop on with you guys. And at this point of the season, we'd probably be doing a preview for the year. And we'd be talking about NIL. NIL would be the biggest thing. Total back burner because of the COVID situation. Right now, not only are we not sure if there's going to be a season, I would make an argument, maybe like the 1A, 1B, I guess 1A has to be, is there a season and do we play? But 1B, I don't even know if it's NIL. Like, what do you do on the recruiting side? California and New Mexico have said, hey, we're pushing high school sports to December or January. Signing date, December 18th. So you're telling me that kids in their senior seasons of high school, haven't played down to football, are going to go and commit. Coach's evaluation process, how do you evaluate a kid who hasn't played in a senior season? I got to tell you, man, like I'm still waiting for my growth spurt, but I do know people that go from <laughs> junior to senior years and they get those growth spurts in their senior seasons. Um, you know, like there's late bloomers. Like how yeah. does how do you handle that? I, I just think there's so many questions swirling around this game right now that need to be answered. And I just I don't know who's going to kind of take the bull by the horns and, and, and figure it out. For when sure. you mentioned sure. uniformity and – there's levels to uniformity with all the conferences, but even inside their own conferences, like for sure. instance, the PAC 12, you know, the part of the, the players movement and we are united is uniform testing uh, just from personal experience, you know, down here in Tucson covering Arizona, some UVA football players came out and said, it's not fair that we are getting tested weekly. Meanwhile, like you said, Mike, some people aren't even getting tested unless they're symptomatic. Yeah. And, and, and this and this is where the uniformity needs to come in and it all starts at the top and who's going to accept it. 
it, I mean, I think what it should, what should happen is all the commissioners should all just kind of get together and figure out this plan and maybe discuss with the NCAA, but there is no leadership right now. And the fact that we are in August and there's still a bunch of question marks, it's very concerning. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that's why we're still, and you had asked me like, Hey, are we going to have a season? Like, I, I don't know. You know, like I, I, I hope, I hope we do, but you know, I just saw a report before I came on with you guys, eight football players at UCLA tested positive. Yeah. It's like, okay, so what, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, how do you, how do you handle this? And it's, and you know, it's mind blowing because you guys are down in Arizona. So you kind of have the pulse on uh, what's happening with those COVID cases. And I heard that things have started to at least slow down a little bit, which is a great sign, but uh, I was I was on this radio show in Mississippi and the, the guys tell me like, yeah, we're just going about our business. Like, it's OK. Like, there's no, no, we're fine here. And I, I had asked him, I was like, well, do you have ample ICU beds in your hospitals there? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, OK, well, then I guess that's the answer. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I go, man, like what? It's almost like a different world, right? It, like, it really they, is. But there's a part of me that that sits there and says, how do you really have ICU beds available? Like that's not totally what the news coverage is saying. And, and it's hard because I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not boots on the ground. I can tell you, I know people down in Arizona that work at hospitals. I know people in LA who works at hospitals. I know when all this happened in, in New York city, my dad um, works in Manhattan at a hospital on the upper uh, East side. He told me he'd never seen anything like it before. He said they were cold trucks coming out because they had no more room for the dead bodies. They're putting them on trucks like that. You know, I hear a story like that and, and like you can say, hey, what news source do you trust? Like, all right, yeah. well, I'm going to trust my dad's eyes. Like, what's what, what, you making up a story for me because it sounds good? No, like that's, you know, those are those are hard, hard yeah. things to handle. So I, I don't know. It's it's a really complicated um, situation. And, you know, it's not like I'm trying to, like, put the fear of God in people because, you know, I do think there's this weird delta of hey, did we flatten the curve? All right, if we flatten the curve and we start reopening, we do have to expect the cases are going to go up. And like, I don't know, like, how do you, I, I see what the unemployment numbers are. I know people are struggling to, to pay bills. I got friends that are unemployed right now. Like those are like small businesses here in San Francisco. Like, I don't know how any of these businesses are going to survive. I've been saying that for months and like, you see everything boarded up. So, um, God, I sound like such like the, the, the downer here and I don't mean to, but it's, it's, these are really complicated questions. And I, I really hope these, a lot of these universities are going to rely on the money that, that comes in for football. And they're going to want these game these games to happen. The television revenue is really significant, but I think you talk to a school president and here's the other thing. It's not a commissioner's call. It's not an AD's call. It's not a coach's call. It's not a player's call. The, the people that are pulling the strings on whether or not there's going to be a college football season are the university presidents. And it's, I will tell you this, and my mom's a university president, the most risk adverse people. And I I've never said this to her, but uh, you know, like there's a, that's a big responsibility. The most risk adverse people on a campus, I would tell you, are probably probably the university presidents. And the health and safety of those kids on those campuses are absolutely paramount. So to me, the people who are making the call are probably not willing to chance the health and safety of the kids on that campus. You know, I, I don't I don't know where where that means we net out at in a couple of weeks when the season is supposed to start in, in actually a little bit more than that now, but you know, basically a month and change. I think yeah. we should clarify that Mike wants football. He wants football. I yes. know all the things yes. that he said is kind of yeah. like, Oh, bummer, but Mike wants football. 
No, man, dude, I do my living is, and like, that's the other thing. Like I look, I, I get paid. Like if sports don't happen, like that's a problem for me. And I got to tell you, like I was pumped last week, NBA restart on a Thursday night. And I don't know if you guys are watching, I'm sitting here going, man, I'm watching basketball games that count on TNT earlier today. SEC comes out with a 10 game conference schedule. I'm getting ready to do a show on Sirius XM radio with coach Neuheisel the next day. And I'm going, yo, like we're, we're, we're creeping closer. Like this thing is going to happen. You know, I don't know, but hell yeah, Justin, man, I want, I want these games to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, you know, before we let you go yeah, real yeah. quick, you know, tell the people what you've been up to and uh, you know, are you working on anything or what's your schedule like for here for the next <laughs> like maybe a month or two? Yeah. I, I, uh, I visualize the workouts in my living room um, that I should be, should <laughs> should be doing at this point. Um, but look, guys, it's been, it's been an awesome run and uh, really fortunate, um, you know, just in terms of the conversation, I love doing stuff like this, but uh, PAC 12 radio on Sirius XM has been the bulk of my work uh, the last couple of weeks. It certainly looks like it's going to be like that for, for a little bit of time here. Um, and I've been fortunate ESPNU radio gets to fill in with, with coach new occasionally, but we're having some fun. We're still having conversations and Justin, I'm going to hammer home the point that you just made hell yeah, I want these games to uh, to kick off here. And, and hopefully we get some real games to actually talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's Mike Yam from Pac-12 Network. We we can't we can't thank you enough for joining yeah, us man, today, absolutely. Mike. Absolutely, absolutely. Pleasure being with you guys. Appreciate the invite. For sure. Justin, that's, a, that's the end of this Total BS podcast. Pretty simple, right? Oh, I loved it. And it's really great to hear from people in Pac-12 networks that are around the conference all the time. So once again, big shout out to Mikey Ann for joining us. But yeah, another episode of the Total BS Podcast in the books. Make sure you subscribe to the Total BS Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to give us a follow and subscribe to us on YouTube and Facebook as well. You heard the man. Do it. Sign up. Do it. Follow, follow us, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, that's another episode of the Total BS Podcast. Till we see you next time. Peace. Your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack, you just sound whack rapping after us. <laughs>